morning. Have a seat, guys. Kids, you can be dismissed to go to class. Let me uh, pray for us again, if I could. God, thanks for uh, bringing us here today. Thanks for um, this opportunity to hear from you this morning. I pray you would uh, free our minds from distraction. I pray you would open our hearts uh, with, with a hope that we might hear from you this morning. God, I pray you'd center our minds around the, the idea that you are, a, you are good and you are a holy God and you have something to say to us this morning. God, would you, would you center our minds around that idea that you, you are a God who spoke the world into existence and who has written his truth in Scripture so that we might know and understand your character and know you. And, and you want to you speak to us today. God, I'm overwhelmed by that in this moment. That you want to you speak to us today. God, I pray you'd open our hearts and our minds to, to what it is that you want to say to us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Uh, so we're in 1 Samuel 16 this morning. If you want to turn there... Um, uh, we're going to continue our series this morning looking at the life of David, and today we're going to talk about the anointing of David as king. Uh, but before we get there, I want to spend just a second thinking about the part of the prayer that I just spoke there. Um, like sometimes church becomes habit to us, and we miss the fact that this is the God of the universe who spoke it into existence, who is all-powerful and all-sovereign, and he has brought you here today, and he, and he wants to say something to you. Um, and, and as we were singing, I was just overwhelmed and overcome with that thought that I don't know where you are in, in your life in chaos and, and what's happening in your worlds yesterday and this morning or, or this month or this week. I don't know what's happening fully and what's going on inside of your heart, but the fact is you're here in this place, in this time, in this room, and the God of the universe wants to say something to you. Isn't that a, that's a pr- profound thought, I think, that the God of the universe, in the middle of your chaos, wants to say something to you. Um, I also want to remark on the image that's in front of you. I said this last week in our first message in a series, but that red, the scatteredness of there, represents chaos, and there's chaos happening around you. So that, that red image that you see is, is chaos. Uh, Joe, hit, go to that next slide. And all the other slides that will be up here in front of you this series will uh, look like this. And there will be words behind that. But what's in the bottom right is the little North Church logo in the midst of that red chaos. And so I, I want to I say, wherever you are, whatever is happening in your world... Um, you're among people who are also living in chaos. Um, North Church is made up of a group of people who live a life in chaos. So our lives are in chaos. But I think God has something to say to us in, in the middle of that. Uh, so let's, let's get to the heart of, of what I think God has to say to us this morning. Um, as we walk through the Scripture in 1 Samuel 16... 
I want us to look for, for three things. First, that God's plans are different than your plans. And that seems like a, a very pithy, maybe even trite thing to say, that God's plans are different than yours. Um, but chaos, I, th- I think that for the most part, chaos enters our world when stuff happens in this world that we didn't plan. You give me that? Is that, is that a given we can, we can walk with? We, we perceive chaos to be happening in our worlds when life doesn't happen as we planned. But if God's plans are different than your plans and chaos happens when we don't when life doesn't go according to our plan, could it be that the chaos that we perceive around us isn't really chaos at all? If God's plans are different than ours, and chaos is when things don't go according to our plan, then God's got a better plan, a different plan, a bigger plan, a plan to bring us into trust of him. So I think our perception of chaos is an important thing. The second thing I want us to look for is God does things differently than you. God does things differently than you. Our ways, our values, our expectations, they're all different than God's values, God's ways, God's expectations. They're all different. And again, the same concept. We do things a certain way. God does things in a different way. And chaos happens when the stuff that we do doesn't bring perfection, doesn't bring rhythm. Then chaos ensues. And and it it gets down to really a a perception. Um, God doesn't choose on physical merit. And when we get to the, the choice of Samuel and God on the next king of God's people... We'll, we'll see God not choosing on physical merit. But I think if we look a little closer, we'll see that God doesn't choose on spiritual merit either. Because when God chooses David, what's ahead of David is some really wretched spiritual activity. Really bad, awful stuff. And we'll talk about that as we go along this morning. Um, the third thing for us to see is that God wants to move you away from fear and into trust. Um, so I want to bring you in on, on my sermon prep this week, my study. This sentence, God wants to move you from fear toward trust, uh, took three or four different forms before I, I settled on this one. The first one was God wants to move you from fear toward obedience. Uh, I thought about that idea, and I see and understand the word obedience, and I want to be careful because when I say God wants, you, wants your obedience, God wants you to obey, it brings a lot of, that word brings a lot of baggage to us. We see, in, in my mind alone, I, I see uh, I'm a, a sixth grader at First Baptist Church of Ferguson in the balcony, and I'm passing a note to my friend, and I see someone behind me who's about 50 years older than I am literally slap me in the back of the head. That's, when I hear obedience, that's what I see. 
Um, for you, it could be, could be a, a really bad parent or a really mean teacher or a nun growing up in Catholic school or uh, a, a, some other person who wanted to exercise their authority because they didn't have authority someplace else, but they had authority over you as a 12-year-old, and so I'm going to wield this big stick. And for us, we conjure up that sort of image of obedience. And I think, truthfully, honestly, if we get to the core of it, we see God that way a lot of times, waiting to slap us in the back of the head because we did something wrong. God doesn't want to move you from fear to that. God doesn't want to move you from fear to getting in line. So then I, I rewrote it to say, God wants to move you from fear to life. And I, I think of, of life, of like the reason we were created. To be who we were created to be. To be in rhythm, to, to allow the joy of life to happen to us. Um, but I think that falls short of what the intention of this is. So I wound up with God wants to move us from fear to trust. Because if we really trust God, obedience happens. If we really trust God, this rhythm of life that we were created to live in happens. So God wants to move you away from fear and towards trust. And so I want to ask you a rhetorical question for, to rattle in your brain, and we'll come back to it. What are you afraid of? And we, that can be a very, very tangible, physical thing. I'm afraid of, for my family, my, we're afraid of tornado sirens. Very physical thing. Or it could be something deeper. What are you afraid of? I'm, I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid of what's going to happen next. I'm afraid of, of the influence that are happening in, in my kids' lives at school. I'm, what am I afraid of? Uh, so what are you afraid of? So let's, let's dig into to the scripture here. First um, Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided myself a king among his sons. Uh, First of all, let me see. Say Samuel is a prophet of God, and, and by prophet of God, I mean he is the mouthpiece of God for God's people in this time and this season. He's not necessarily foretelling the future, but instead, more to the point, he's speaking on behalf of God to these people, and people see him as their link to God. He speaks with God, and he speaks to them for God, and he speaks for God to them, and, and, and vice versa. And Samuel has anointed and given them Saul as their king, as their king, but he has now been removed as king. Previously in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel goes to Saul and says, God has rejected you as king. In verse 23, he says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Let me stop for a second. This isn't the point of the message, but 1 Samuel 15, 23, God rejects Saul as king of Israel because he has rejected the word of the Lord, because he has disobeyed. Um, it's not the point of the message, but this is a sub point for us to connect with, that disobedience is a, like, 
We conjure up images of the lady in the balcony slapping me in the head and all that stuff. We conjure up images of obedience. But obedience matters. Obedience is a big thing. Saul was disobedient, rejected the word of the Lord, and God removed him as king. Uh, the immediate response of Saul, and this is, this is interesting here. The immediate response of Saul when Samuel says God has rejected you as king is Saul realized in, Psalm, in 1 Samuel 15, 24, it says, He feared the people and obeyed their voice. What are you afraid of? Most likely, if, if we were to be really honest with, with ourselves and, and lay our stuff on the table, lay our fears on the table, a lot of what we are afraid of is people and how people perceive us, how people failing to live up to people's expectations of us. This happens to you. I need to act this way because people are going to think something different or think something poorly of me. Ultimately, Saul realized he feared people more than he feared God. Saul is broken in this meeting. And this is another interesting thing, that this is the last time that Samuel and Saul will be together is when he rejects him as king. Um, and one other interesting note. Three chapters previous to this in 1 Samuel 12, if you want to look back in your Bible, you'll see it. Samuel gives what the Bible calls his farewell address. Samuel retires. He anoints Saul as king, and then he retires. Like, I'm done with this. And he, a very public retirement ceremony happens. And then now he, here he is in 1 Samuel 15 saying, Saul, I'm sorry, you're done. He's not really retired. And then in 1 Samuel 16, we're going to deal with here, it's active participation in what's happening. So, um, I think the life and chaos that we'll center around today is, is Samuel's. He thought he was done, but he's not done. Um, you may think you're done with something. You may be afraid of something, but God's got something more to say to you. Uh, let's go back to 1 Samuel 16, chapter, uh, verse 2. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. That's a very specific thing to be afraid of. Um, and very real thing to be afraid of. If, if Saul hears that Samuel's going to Bethlehem to talk to, to Jesse's kids to make a new king, Saul's going to want to put a stop to that and, and kill him. And when, Dave, when Samuel goes to a town, he's going, and everybody knows what's happening, that there's been this, this disagreement, this, this rebuke happening, and Saul's no dummy. He knows the next place that Samuel goes is going to be to anoint a king. And so Samuel is scared. What are you afraid of? Um, and the interesting part here, remember what we just read out of First Samuel 15, that the reason why Saul was rejected is because he feared people more than God. Isn't Samuel really doing the same thing here? God says, do this. Samuel says, no, because I'm afraid of Saul. But he only stays with that for, for just a minute. Um, I want to say something very specific to you. When you have a fear problem, 
you really have a trust problem. When you have a fear problem, you really have a trust problem. Look at Samuel here. He's afraid of Saul. And that's really, I I don't trust you, God. You've told me to go do this, but I trust Saul's power more than your power. So I'm afraid. Um, I want to insert this as well. Something I've, I've said on a consistent basis to us. If, if you've been in my living room and we've been doing some counseling together, chances are I said, I've said these words to you. If you've been here more than three or four times, chances are you've heard me say this. You have one enemy in this world, and his name is Satan. And he has one weapon against you, and that's to get you to believe something about yourself or about God that's not true. That was the weapon that Satan was using against Samuel here I'm going to get you to believe something about yourself or about God that's not true. Samuel believed for a moment that God couldn't protect him over Saul's hand. No matter what's going on in the chaos in your life, you don't have a fear problem, you have a trust problem. And you have a trust problem that you have one enemy and his name is Satan and he's trying to get you to believe something that's not true about yourself or about God. When you see your chaotic circumstances, please understand that. And please understand that God is bigger than that. And your only real need in that moment is to rightly see God. We just sang over and over again in a, I don't know, is it a refrain? No weapon formed against me can prosper. No weapon formed against me can prosper. No weapon formed against me can prosper. Why do you think we sung that three times in a row? Because we're dumb and we need to hear it over and we need to beat it into our heads. No weapon formed against us can prosper. That's straight out of Scripture. That's not some clever lyrical genius. That's from Scripture. Let's go back to verse 3. God talking to David, or God talking to Saul, verse 3. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. And you shall anoint him for me, him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded. Okay, I want to say, I've been picking on Samuel a little bit here. He was fearing people rather than God, but it lasted, what, three and a half seconds maybe? Samuel had a a momentary fear problem that was replaced by trust. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded him and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? Most of the time when Samuel would go to a city that wasn't the, Samuel's, the city that Samuel went to a lot, he was going to pronounce judgment on that city. And so Samuel enters into their city. If Samuel walked in these doors right now, our response would have been, oh my gosh, what did we do wrong? What judgment is he going to pronounce upon us? So that's their immediate response. Samuel responds, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Um, Let's talk for a second on this word consecrate. It is a ritual cleansing of body and clothing. That's what literally happened when he said, let's consecrate ourselves and then let's consecrate your kids. We're going to clean up. Um, And look at... Look at who is doing the consecrating. 
I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. This is, this is really important. Really, really important. Every single person that God rejects as king in this passage has tried to clean themselves up. Do you see that? That's important. Never in Scripture is it celebrated ever that man was able to clean themselves up. You have one opportunity to be clean, and that's through the work of Jesus Christ, period. Let's keep going. Verse 6. When they came, he looked at Eliab, he's one of the sons of Jesse, one of David's brothers, and thought, surely this is the anointed one before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. Um, I need to stop for just a second here, because this is where I'm, I'm, I'm confused in God's deal here. Because we see clearly, doesn't look on the physical, this guy's a big, strong, strapping guy, and he would be a good king because he's big, strong, and strapping. But he says... God looks in his heart. And I think about David and what's going to happen in David's life. After this setting, after this story happens, David shirks his responsibility. His country is at war, and his role as king is to be at war with them. So he's being lazy, sin number one, by staying home. And then he's being lustful. He looks across the rooftop and sees a beautiful woman and says, I've got to have her, and he has her, and he impregnates her. So he's, he's lazy, he's shirking his responsibility, he's lusting, and then he's committing adultery. And then after that, he, he brings Bathsheba, the woman he had the adulterous affair with, brings her wife, her husband home, and has him killed. So he's a murdering adulterer who's lazy. And this is the guy that God is choosing here. So it's clear to us that we, that God doesn't choose based on the physical. And then it says that God chooses on the heart. Well, what's, there's something clearly wrong with David's heart to do these things. Right? And I'm, I'm struggling with that as I'm preparing this. So like you're all in it. Well, Rick, tell us the secret. What happened? What's the, di- why, why, why? I think for us, we can relate to David. Um, as, a, as a pastor, if I did what David did, I wouldn't have a job anymore. Right? If, if I did what David did, not only would I not have a job anymore, I would be in prison. He killed somebody. Right? They, they still put people in jail for that, right? Right? Yeah. So what's, what's the difference here? What's happening in David's heart? Uh, I think the difference here is Psalm 51 is David. So Nathan, a prophet in, in David's time, like the prophet after Samuel is going to be Nathan, and Nathan rebukes David's situation with Bathsheba and the murder of, of her husband Uriah and all that stuff. And David's response to that 
is contrition. Um, and Psalm 51, 7, all of Psalm 51 is David's prayer following this event. But David's response is a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Here, here's the really, really good news. In the middle of, of, of David being chosen here and, and, and God not choosing these big strapping men, he's also looking at the heart. He's not looking for a non-sinful heart. If he's looking for a non-sinful heart, we're all out. David's out. He's looking for a heart that will see its sin, be broken over it, and be contrite and beg of God to give mercy to him. This is the, this is the secret. This is the difference. This is where, why God said that David is a man after my own heart. God is not interested in a sinless person. There was one of those. Jesus. The good news about this is, is this. Sin is coming for you. The sin that you will commit in future days is very real and is coming. And is very ugly. Just like David in this moment. The sin that's coming for David in this moment. The sin that David will commit after this moment is huge. Sin is coming for you. Sinning against God is coming for you. But God wants you to see him as your hero. He wants you to see his son as your savior and not yourself. God, do you know that they've they've mentioned this already. God's interested in your humility before him. Not your perfection before him. Let's... uh, Let's keep going in our story. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab. Uh, aren't you glad that God eventually didn't call Eliab or Abinadab? He called David. Easy for us to say and remember. What was that guy's name? Abba. No, it's David. So we're all good. Then Jesse made Shema, another weird name. Maybe God was choosing based on names. No, I'm sorry. I'm digressing. I need to stop. Verse 9. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. I think that's really funny. <laughs> this is what is remarked here. Man, he's got beautiful eyes. <laughs> and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Okay, Bible, Bible school question. What has been true about the other brothers and not about David? What, is, what has the Bible told us about the other brothers and not David so far? Here's a, here's a hint. It starts with cons, con, 
He's not been consecrated yet. Everybody else has been, but David hasn't been. And there's no, wait, hold on, we need to stop and clean you up before we anoint you. Just, he's been in the field, and now he's not in the field anymore. He's in front of them. He hasn't been consecrated. Do you know why? God is the one who cleans us. You're not the one who cleans you. That's, that's good news, in case you didn't know. Um, uh, God is, is calling us. We've, one of the things that I've said a lot here is that we are more sinful and messed up than we could ever know. This is the gospel in, in a few short words. The, that you're more sinful and messed up than you ever know. But you're more loved and accepted than you can ever hope to be. And I think I've stumbled this week upon this idea that that phrase doesn't get the fullness of how God views us. It's not the fullness of the gospel. Because the fact is that God, because of Jesus and his consecrating of you and your heart, God is not just accepting of you. He is pleased with you. I want to tell a story. Um, I coach a basketball team for my son. And sometimes at practice, kids will show up a few minutes early and they'll start playing. If there's four of them there, they'll play two on two. And the next kid to come in to show up to practice is on the team who's ever losing. Right? You with me? You follow? So one team's losing four to two and a, and a kid comes up and uh, you're now on, on the team that's losing four to two. And then the next kid that shows up is on the team that's short a player. So it's three on two for a while. The next kid that shows up, now it's three on three. You should see, like there's, there's a couple of kids on our team that are really, really, really good. And you can see when, when it's your, tur- your team's turn to get the next kid, when one of those kids comes in, how excited they are. Yes! We got Aaron! Yes! So excited! God is pleased with you like that. I hope that pause was the, the depth of the beauty of that. God is pleased with you. Why is he pleased with you? Because you consecrated yourself? God is pleased with you because he looks upon you as if he's looking upon his son, Jesus. Life is chaotic. We don't see the way God sees. We don't plan the way God plans. All of these things are jacked up in our worlds. And the response that we have because we see, we perceive chaos in our life is fear and maybe not trusting God. But let me say this to you. God not only accepts you, but he is excitedly pleased to be your friend. That's massive. And I think that's the story that that God is telling in, in the acceptance and the being pleased with David here. In Samuel, 
here. And so when fear attacks us, when we receive the attacks of the enemy and believe something about God that's not true or ourselves that's not true, here's the truth. God loves you and is pleased with you. Like that's, let that sit on you for a decade. God is pleased with you. And why is he pleased with you? Not because of you. Because look at David. Remember David. David is going to be a, a lazy, lying, adulterous murderer after this day, after he's anointed, after God says, this is my guy. And God knows Bathsheba and Uriah are coming, but he still says, this is my guy. So don't let sin that's in your future take away this fact that God is pleased with you. Always. It's really important for us as we live and encounter a life of chaos. God is pleased with you. I think the most important, the best thing that we can do in this moment is... Reflect and sing songs to God about the gloriousness of that. So let's pray and do that. God, I thank you so much for your prophet Samuel and your servant David and the life in chaos that they lived and the the real fear and the real sin that they dealt with. And I thank you for your son Jesus and his life and death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. And because of that, when you see us, you see your son Jesus. When you see us, we are clean and perfect and holy and anointed, and worthy to be in your presence at all times, in all things. Even when sin is coming for us, you are still pleased with us. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the beauty of your plan. You are a good God. You are such a good God. And you give us such beautiful gifts. God, guide our hearts now to respond to you well. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. God, would you cast the fear out of our hearts and replace it with trust for you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.